millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my money-saving comrades. My name's Graham Clark, and I'm excited to be with you again this week on the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast. This is a podcast made by the Money Stepper Savings Community for the Money Stepper Savings Community. It's designed to help us all achieve the goals that we've set for the 2015 Savings Challenge and make that journey to financial freedom much more friendly and enjoyable. Are you ready? Let's get going. Good work all. Keep on smashing it. This week's quote of the week. Maybe not the most well-structured quote you'll ever hear, or the most famous, but the most relevant that I've seen this week for sure. It comes in the comments to the February results by Mr. Zombie. Good work all. Keep on smashing it. And in today's episode, we're going to have a look why you're all doing good work, why I'm doing good work, and why we should all keep on smashing it. Before we do, two quick points. First is to remind you that we've still got some free tickets left to the Master Investor Conference in London on Saturday the 25th of April. Now tickets are usually £20 each, but we've got uh, up to four free tickets to give away to all Money Stepper readers and the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast listeners. Uh, If you want to claim one of those tickets, just head on over to moneystepper.com forward slash master investor where you'll be taken straight to the tickets page and the promotional code will already be applied. So you'll be able to get up to four tickets absolutely free. Now this event is great for beginners or for expert investors alike. There's some great keynote speakers. We've detailed everything on the website so I'd encourage you to go over there and have a look. Also, a couple of eagle-eyed people amongst you have noticed that, unfortunately, despite all the checks and balances and all the controls we've performed, uh, there are still a couple of errors sitting around in that Money Stepper Savings Challenge spreadsheet. Um, The one we've just noticed is that on the Savings Challenge tab, is that on the tab number two, Savings Rate, in the first section, line three to eight, the Income. There's a slight discrepancy between the formula in D8 and the formula for the rest of the year in row 8. Now, the formula in D8 is correct. It should be your gross salary, less your tax, less your other deductions, plus your miscellaneous income. 
Unfortunately, for the rest of the year, we've just taken the sum of all of them. So if you do that, your net income will actually be much higher than it should be because it hasn't been, uh, we haven't taken off your tax and deductions, but instead we've added them onto your gross salary. Apologies for that. Don't worry if that's impacted you. Uh, just correct it now and correct it going forwards and we'll therefore have the right results going from March forwards. Uh, I apologise for that. There's also been some other discussion around what that actually means for the pension side and I just want to clarify that for people as well. Where we say gross salary, this is actually your gross salary but that should include your pension contribution and your employer's pension contribution. It's not necessarily the headline figure on your payslip or the headline figure on your contract. It's going to be everything that you're paid in the month before deductions plus any employer pensions if that is taken into account as well. And then usually your employee contribution to the pension will be taken off your gross salary. So usually it'll already be in that figure. So your gross salary wants to be your total salary including employer contributions. Then you take off your tax and then you deduct any other deductions, but do not deduct your pension here. So when you come to line eight in your net income, it says net income excluding pension. Perhaps that should be net income including pension, but I wanted to say excluding pension contributions. So your net income is what you receive in your bank, what you receive at the bottom line of your payslip, plus anything that you or your employer has contributed to your pension. I hope that makes sense for everyone. And then in line 13, that contribution goes into your savings and investments and the pension contribution. So actually you include it in your income figure and then straight away you include it in your savings investments. So you won't see it really coming into your bank because it's all gone into your pension, but you'll see it on the spreadsheet as being included in both figures and therefore incorporated in both figures for the calculation of your savings rate. Okay, I hope that made sense. Today's main bulk of the episode is that we'll be talking about uh, the February results in general and we'll have a look at what I've learned from individuals and hopefully what you can learn from these people as well. So firstly, thank you so much for your submissions and even more so for all the comments you've added. Some of the comments this month ran into what can only be described as full essays, which I absolutely love. It gives me an idea of what's going on in the challenge as a whole, how everyone's feeling, why everyone's doing well or why certain people are struggling. And it well, it helps me learn. It helps me personally understand other people's problems how I can apply them to my own finances which for me is the whole idea of why we're doing this challenge. The other reason why we're doing the challenge is to realise an absolutely magnificent net worth improvement and to achieve a remarkable savings rate and that's where I'm going to start because that is certainly what we've done in February. At the end of January for everyone who had submitted their results the average net worth improvement in January year to date was 3.52%. Now that in itself is pretty impressive, isn't it? If we just multiply that out by 12, uh, we're looking at over 40% net worth growth for the year. However, we're not ones to stop there. Everyone pushed on in February. And actually, for everyone who submitted their results in February, that 3.52% 
is now 8.80% for the year to date, meaning that for February, we've got a one-month improvement of 5.28%. Well, that's a 50% or so improvement on the previous month. Everyone's absolutely smashed that, as Mr. Zombie would say, for February. Now, let's have a look why that's the case. Well, we can see from a lot of people's feedback and from my own personal results, uh, the market performance in February clearly helped. I think the S&P 500 was up about 5% for the month. Uh, FTSE over here in the UK, about 3.5%. And that's clearly going to help a lot of people because our pensions and a lot of our investments are tied up and are directly linked to the performance of the market in the short term. Now, I don't want us to focus on the the performance of the market. As you all know from reading Money Stepper, I'm very much a passive investor. There's no consideration of me trying to time the market and saying, well, we've had a good bit of increase now. Maybe we should sell out or maybe we should be buying more because we're on a momentum run or whatever else people might conclude from this. The only thing I'm going to conclude is that just keep that in mind in the short term, that we've performed very well and the markets have had some impact on that. But equally, uh, it's not all just because of the luck of the markets because I doubt that many people have got 100% of their net worth tied up in investments which are linked to the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100. What I'm trying to say there is that say you've got 50% of your net worth invested in those markets. Well, if the markets then go up by 5%, and you've got half your net worth invested in that, and the other half of your net worth doesn't increase in value at all, then actually your improvement would be 2.5% for the month. However, we can see that despite uh, the average of those two markets increasing by around 4% in the month, the average increase for our participants was more like 5 and a quarter percent. So we can clearly see that we're doing something else well on top of the markets, which is great to see. And where does that improvement come from? Well, it probably comes directly from our savings rate. Now, I like to go back to this because I really enjoy how much we are overperforming this uh, benchmark or threshold. But in the personal finance world, there is a common saying that you should pay yourself 10% first. And now the really ambitious among the authors say that you should pay yourself 15% first. We're not normal in the Money Stepper Savings Challenge here, clearly. I love that the people who get involved in this challenge are the people who are the most motivated to achieve. To achieve their financial goals in the future, to achieve financial freedom, to enjoy that lifestyle which they've all, that everyone has in their head of what, how they want to spend the future. And today they are committed, you are committed, and you're striving towards achieving those things. So we forget about this 10%, we forget about this 15%. In January, the average savings rate for people who submitted to the challenge was 35.5%. Now, if someone said that people should be saving 35.5% of their net income, they'd be laughed at. Almost everyone would say, that's not possible, we can't do that. But we've got the proof here, that's based on a sample of 40-odd of people who are saving 30, over 35% of their income. That was in January, okay? We might have thought that was impressive enough in January, but no, not you. In fact, 
the way people have pushed forward, so this doesn't have any impact from the markets, remember, because it's your income that you earn and what percentage of that you saved in the month. So whether your shares have gone up 5% doesn't matter for this. It's what you're saving. So it's basically how you're restricting your spending, maybe through frugality or just, I prefer to say, concentrated spending on the things you enjoy, divided by your net income. Year-to-date average up to the end of January, 35.5%. Year-to-date average at the end of February, 44.5%. On average, we're almost saving half of our net income. Everyone in the savings challenge. Now, if you save half of your net income, assuming you earn a reasonable income, and you invest that wisely for a period of maybe 10, 15 years, you'll have enough money to safely retire. Okay, you might think that's a crazy thing to say, but I'm just going to do some quick uh, calculations. I've got an Excel spreadsheet open here, so let's have a look. Okay, let's take the average household income after tax, which is around £38,500 in the UK. Okay, that's your household income, not your individual income. Okay, £38,500. Let's take a half of that. Okay, let's say we're saving 50% of our income. Okay, now let's say that you save that for 15 years and you can earn 10% growth on that a year, which is reasonable given the historic performance of markets. And it could even be on the lower side if you're able to uh, take advantage of leverage and invest wisely in property and in real estate in the long term. But we'll say 10% a year, okay? Just saving that 19,000, so if you started today with a net worth of zero, just saving that £19,250 every year for 15 years with that 10% annual growth, after that 15-year period, you would have £612,000, which will make you just about a millionaire in dollar terms. Well, what's 10% of that £612,000? Well, it's £61,200. So if you only ever lived on the income of that going forward, 10% a year, you would have an annual income of 61 grand a year, which would exceed the current annual income. Obviously, we're going to factor inflation into that figure, but it gives you a general idea that if you put that money away, uh, if you can save 50% of your income for just 15 years of your life, you'll be very comfortable. Now, 15 years might seem like a long time, but let's say you're 25 and... In 15 years, you'd be 40, and most other people will still be working for another 25 years. Now, 25 years is a long time. <laughs> so if you can put that away and maybe we'll push that up to 20 years, let's say, instead of 15 years, every year, because of the effect of compound interest that we add on has a significant improve, increase on that. So let's say you've got a 20-year time frame and you're saving half your income at the average UK salary. Well, you would be a millionaire in pound terms. After 20 years, that would be worth £1.1 million. One last calculation. Let's factor in inflation. Okay, let's say it's 3%. So we'll reduce our annual returns from 10% a year down to 7% a year to factor in for inflation. And even after 20 years there, so in today's money, you'd have £790,000. 10% of that, or actually, sorry, 7% of that would then be £55,000 in today's money. So 20 years saving half your income of the UK average household, you'd easily have enough to live on in retirement. Interesting stuff, eh? 
And what else did we see? How did that affect individual people? Well, I'm going to mention, it's a bit sad, but actually eight people failed to submit in January. That went up to 15 in February. Now, I hope that's because people are struggling to find time in their lives because they're so busy earning extra income uh, and and organising their budget that they didn't have time to submit their results. I hope it's that people aren't losing interest. If you're taking this challenge seriously and the feedback I've had from other people, it's going to be quite hard to lose interest when you can see that we are improving our net worth and we're improving our savings rate by the levels that we are so far. So hopefully those people will come back in March and start submitting. I'll, I'll try and chase those again to keep the community alive. Then going up from there, you have people who are below their net worth goal and below their savings rate goal. In January, there was nine people in this group. In February, there's only two. Okay, So last month, of people who submitted their goals, 26% of people were in that group. Now it's only 6%. On the other side, both positives, we did have 14 people in that group in January. Okay, which was 39% of people who had submitted their goals. And now we've got 16 people, which is two extra people, but actually is 50% of people who submitted their goals. So you can see that people, obviously this is clear from the averages, but you can also see as people are moving nicely towards those groups, they're moving into the above average. Do we want everyone in the above their net worth goal and above their savings rate goal? In my opinion, no, we don't. And the reason that we don't is that If 100% of people are exceeding their goals, then that tells me that their goals aren't correct. So what we're going to do at the end of quarter one, the end of March, is as well as submitting your goals, I want you to leave in the comments why you do or you do not want to re-evaluate your goals. So for the people who are 600% ahead of their savings rate, they probably need to re-evaluate their goals. However, for people whose net worth is 10% ahead of where they were and it's pretty much because all of their investments are in the stock market which has performed very well in those months, then you might not necessarily want to change your goals because it's the short-term performance of the markets which has meant you're ahead rather than anything fundamental uh, that you've done that you wouldn't be doing usually. But I'd like everyone, if they can, to help us understand, to help keep our goals relevant and help us evaluate our goals and review our goals appropriately. I want everyone to submit either their new goals or an explanation of why they're not changing their goals in their March submission. That would be great. Okay, let's move on to what I have learned from certain individual results in the month and more so from their comments. So the first one is a colleague of mine, Tom, in Group I, in Group Independence. And he actually has had the same problem as me. If you've read the uh, February results summary on the Money Stepper website, you'll see that I have a bit of an issue with my exchange rate. Okay, So my problem was that I performed some consultancy work in January and February. Uh, over in France, as I'm sure you all know, I mention it enough. <laughs> and my original salary was set in euros. Okay, my hourly rate, and I set my hourly rate hourly rate in euros based on what I wanted to earn in pounds. And I calculated that nicely. Now, at the time, the exchange rate was around 1.27. So, for every 100 euros 
that I earned, I thought that was going to be around seventy-nine or eighty pounds. The payment terms on the salary on on my contract are forty-five days. So by the time I get paid for the end of January, which will be uh, in a few days' time into the middle of March, the exchange rate today is one point four one euros to GDP. That means actually for every 100 euros where I thought I was going to earn 79 to 80 pounds, I'm actually going to be receiving 70 pounds. So I've effectively taken a 9 to 10% pay cut due to currency fluctuations. That's a tough one to take. Um, I'm sure no one would like to have a 10% pay cut. But it's taught me something. It's taught me the importance of considering currency risk. I've never really thought about it in the past. At times when I started my investment, I used to invest in individual stocks and shares. Uh, for instance, I invest in Apple in the US. And I thought that my risk was basically around the company risk in Apple. I didn't really think about the exchange rate risk. But even if I, even if I invested in one of the best performing stocks in Europe uh, in the last two, three months, and it went up by 10% in two months, right? So the annual performance was 60%. This is a remarkable performing stock. I'd be even on that because I would have lost so much in the other way through the euro to GBP exchange rate that even the best performing stocks would have taken a hit. So this is something that I think everyone should consider if they're ever dealing in transactions abroad. When would you deal in transaction abroad? Well, some people like myself, we I have income that comes from abroad. Other people might be invested in shares abroad or invested in businesses abroad. Uh, Tom, for instance, in my group, that's why I raised him at the start, he contacted me to ask how he should account for it in the spreadsheet because he has a lot of his investments in, in the German market, nominated in euros. And he has the same problem as me. His home currency at the minute is GBP. So everything he calculates his net worth in is calculated in pounds. So he's had to reevaluate at the end of the month his investments that are in euros, which haven't performed badly, but because they're in the currency of euros, when he translates them back into pounds, they have taken a sharp hit. And because of that, he's quite a long way behind his net worth goals. What else? Well, he might be going on holiday. And that's an interesting one. Because when you save and when you budget for your holiday, you might be budgeting in your home currency. But when you come to exchange your money, it might be worth a complete different amount. I have an example where actually I saved some of the money that I had when I was over there in euros to use for my stag do, which I'm going on at the end of March. And even that, uh, if I'd have I've kind of hedged against the currency risk accidentally there, if I was to take out money to the day before I go rather than two months before, it might have changed by 5 6 7%. And so actually, when I put my savings aside, I might have too much or I might have too little to spend while I'm there. So even on those things, if, if they're expensive and they're a large portion of your wealth, you might consider um, when you buy your currency, you might buy it over over certain month periods, it's kind of equates to dollar cost averaging. And you might want to exchange a little bit at a time in order to make sure you don't take a big hit on the exchange rate whenever you do go. What else? Well, people often buy property abroad. They see that as a great opportunity, but it's not just the performance in the local markets abroad of the housing market. You need to consider, again, it's equally the exchange rate, which you need to consider there. 
So that's something I'll definitely be keeping in mind more in the future because it certainly had quite a significant impact on me. Uh, moving on, Ben O, who is a new uh, member of the challenge, uh, basically taught me how complex this month so certain uh, financial decisions can be. He works for a listed company in the UK who, as well as his salary, they offer him a very generous pension and they also offer him various stock options in his company. And they are essentially designed to keep him working at the company for a few years. So they say, if you put a certain amount of your salary into this scheme, we will pay you in three years' time a certain number of shares, or they'll match a certain number of shares, or they'll give a certain discount compared to the price today. Uh, the idea being that, say the shares went up by 30% in three years, then you could buy at today's value with a 20% discount to today's value, and so you'd be getting 50% return straight away there when you cash in. What that taught me in the conversation I've had with Ben over the past few days is that these things are pretty complicated, especially for people who are new to personal finance. Clearly, Ben's had some experience. He's knowledgeable in what he's talking about. And equally, I like to think I have as well. And, um, you know, it's some really deep thinking from both of us going on around risk levels, what percentages of his net worth is currently tied up in this company, how much the company risk plays uh, a factor rather than just general market risk, how actually because he could at any point return the money in cash to himself rather than having to take the shares in the option, that actually mitigates the market risk while leaving the company risk. And what impact does that play? He had to think about his finances elsewhere, how his emergency fund was looking, uh, what else did he owe money on, should he be paying down the debt on those rather than earning the money here. So we had to do some estimations on how much he'd earn. And in the end, we decided that the lack of diversification of having too much money invested in your own company from which you also derive your salary meant that he shouldn't actually put too much money into these what would be fairly profitable schemes usually, because the risk was a little bit too much from diversification. Now, the normal man on the street is going to struggle to, to find that. So what have I learned and how could the challenge can help us? Well, hopefully Ben found it useful talking to me about that and we were able to have a big discussion, bounce some ideas off each other. And again, that's what the challenge is for. So if you find something in your life which is a little bit complex or you find it a little bit difficult to understand financially, then please, please do share it with other people in your groups, other people in the challenge or with myself and we can have a nice discussion about that. Moving on to Greg. Greg taught me about the power of measurability. Uh, he submitted his goals which he thought were right for the year. Okay, If you scroll right down to the end, you'll find Greg in group M. Okay, And he set his goals and he thought by all of his calculations that his goals were, were right. But in the past, he hadn't really done too much around recording his budget and understanding where his money was going. He just did it on based on how his performance in the bank account was doing in the past. Greg, at the end of February, currently sits 1,580% ahead of his net worth goal and 200% ahead of his savings rate. He thought his savings rate was going to be 16%, and it's actually 48%. This taught me about the power of understanding our finances and being able to cut back on certain things once you identify them that are waste and just being able to, just writing down everything so that you can take actions on it in the future. Now, obviously, you all have in the Money Step Challenge, but I, it's just reinforced to me the power of this and how important it is. Um, and so we can all give ourselves a nice big pat on the back for doing so.
Next, uh, AJ and Chris both uh, reminded me how good Quidco was. Now, I'm a huge advocate of Quidco. For those of you who don't use it, it's essentially a cashback website where you visit Quidco before you visit your normal retailer online and you receive whatever commission another site would have got. And by doing that, you uh, can basically get cash straight back into your bank. AJ got £80 in the month. Chris got an extra £40 in the month. Um, it's a no-brainer for me. If you want to find out more, you can search for Quidco on, on Money Stepper um, or go moneystepper.com forward slash Quidco dash review, which will also take you uh, give you a good explanation. There's a video on there about how to sign up, how to use Quidco, what the power of Quidco, whether you should sign up for the for the premium membership and all other kinds of things on there. So check that out. Next, uh, a few people, including Nigel W. and Pete Matthew, um, raised the point around house valuation, how we should deal with this in the, in the Money Stepper Savings Challenge. Now, my opinion is that you should build an estimation of the increase in your house price based on prior results, based on history, because if we didn't assume any increases in this or any increases, well, it's equivalent to saying we wouldn't assume that there's any increases in our investments in the market or in our pensions. But if we did that, why would we invest in them in the first place? We buy a house as an investment. We obviously buy it as a place to live, but we'd rent it if it wasn't an investment. We wouldn't buy. So we should be including, I think, an estimation of that in your annual goals. When it comes to your actuals, um, I don't think we should be necessarily updating it every month uh, with the latest Zoopla data. I mainly say that because the Zoopla estimate on my flat is absolutely miles out. Um, I recently got it valued for uh, for a lease extension and the figure was um, 20-30% out compared to what Zoopla reckoned it was. But... If you are going to use Zoopla, just make sure you're consistent. If you update it every month, make sure you do update it every month, whether it goes up or down on the website, or if you use any other kind of website valuation uh, tool. Personally, I would update it as and when you have an official update, as and when you have a survey or evaluation or anything like that. If you don't have that in the year, then I would probably take the last known house price you have the official house price you have and plug it into the figures for the local area from say the nationwide house price index or any other kind of house price index like that to try and work out an estimated value on your house you only really need to do that once a year because it's quite a lot of effort and there's quite a lot of variability in the short term as well a few people have um, received a tax refund in the month uh, Vought, Matt S, C They've all received a tax refund. And one thing I learned was that um, it's a good idea to put most of your tax refunds towards savings rather than going down to the shops. But I already knew that. So what, what did I learn? What was new about this? Well, what I actually learned was how good it felt for these people. And it's something that I didn't really think about when I did mine, but it really does feel good that when you receive that tax refund, being able to put that that money towards your savings gives you that feeling that a lot of people get from retail therapy. If you see your investments pop up by amount or you can pay off some specific debt because that comes in, it makes you feel good. And I could see that from the comments. It wasn't I've had to save uh, this tax income when it came in or I didn't spend it. It was I managed to apply X percent of this tax refund to this and it felt good. 
I learned about a mentality shift, how people can feel good about spending. But if you approach this right and you focus on saving money for the long term, you actually feel good about saving. Uh, what else? Jeannie B and Michael S both made me think about when you should revalue certain items and how that plays a role in the challenge. And Jeannie B revaluated in the month a company stock investment. And she went from being 45% behind her net worth goal to 142% ahead. Now, that variation is just caused by by not accurately reflecting the value of those things in the shorter term. So I would say when you can revalue based on a market or based on something specific. So, for instance, if you have your pensions and you could go online to check the value of your pension today, I would do that and update that monthly rather than waiting for your annual your annual statement to arrive because it gives you a more accurate reflection of where you are today. Why is that good? Well, it might not feel great to be 80% behind your goal because your investment hasn't been revaluated and you built in an investment for the year. Uh, Ryan, Ryan's performance in the month uh, was brilliant. He had a lot of cash inflows in February. And what he taught me, and it's along the lines of what we said about the tax refunds for Vought, Matt, S and C, but Ryan showed how enthusiastic he was about placing those one-off cash inflows from a bonus from work and from other certain things towards a specific goal, towards paying down certain debts. He had a plan and he spoke, it was one of the longest comments I had, but he spoke a lot about how he thinks now that this year he's definitely going to reach the positive net worth, which he spoke about in the interview we had a few weeks back, that he was trying to move from thirty or $35,000 in debt to the positive net worth. And because of how he's been able to control this cash in February that's come in, he's gets the snowball effect on the future, so he doesn't have as high interest payments going forward because he's managed to pay down some of his debt, and he's now in a great position moving forward for the rest of the year. So... Ryan's taught me the importance of managing one-off incomes. Mr. Z, as well as teaching me uh, how easy it is to get on the quote of the week, (laughs) if you big up the challenge, he's also taught me about the confidence that a good month can bring, okay, or being in a good position, because he's got, he says in his comments that March is going to be an expensive month for him. And I know from my own, pers- my own personal experience, I know from speaking to others, that when you have this expensive month coming up, people usually fear it. And you're worried about how you're going to get through that month, how you're going to deal with it, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck. However, if you're ahead of your goals because you've put that effort in, in, in say, January and February and the bad month that's coming in March, if you can see on paper that you're a long way ahead of where you thought you should be, then you're mentally prepared for that bad month that's to come. And Mr. Zombie certainly seems to be in that situation. And the final thing that I learned was from Jeannie H, which was the power to keep on pushing. So don't rest on your laurels. She was already a good good way ahead after the first month, um, but she wasn't going to stop there. And now at the end of February, she's 380% ahead of a net worth goal. So her pro rata net worth increase was 2.5 and she is at 12. And her estimated savings rate was supposed to be 20% and she's saving at 59%. She's 195% ahead of that. Now, I think that she'll probably be re-evaluating their, those goals upwards at the end of Q1. I hope so. But again, what she said in the comments was 
was kind of inspirational to me that even when you're performing well, you shouldn't rest on those laurels. You should keep on pushing. She said, uh, in fact, I'll find exactly the comment of what she said. Jeannie said, it's weird that going through this challenge, I see that I'm saving a lot of my paycheck each month, yet I still feel like I'm not doing enough. The fear of being poor again is still there, I guess. That you can be so far ahead in this challenge and still have that you still have the motivation to carry on and push, I think is testament to the community that we have here. Because I know in the past, in the past couple of years, if I've been ahead of my goals, I often think, oh, I've, I've got a bit of leeway now, that's nice, I can, I can rest a little bit. But being in the challenge and having all these other people around us who are performing as well or even better than us kind of keeps us going. It keeps us thinking, well, if person A and B from Group uh, G or Group Freedom uh, group freedom's performance was particularly good again this month are uh, performing even better than me then what's stopping me pushing myself another another level up another step up and and reaching those same heights that the people in that group are reaching and i hope you're finding that as as powerful as i am from my side okay so that's what i've learned from everyone this month We'll just have a look at a good news article to make us feel even better about ourselves. Hopefully after all that you're feeling pretty good about yourself anyway. And uh, then we shall sign off for this week. Right then, good news article, something to make us feel good about ourselves. Uh, Head on over to the show notes, moneystepper.com forward slash February dash results, where you will see a video. It's a news article from today. It's about a lady from Arkansas who spends effectively her own pension money to feed thousands of people and supply hot food, hot meals to people who can't afford it themselves. It's on a fairly similar theme to last week's Good News article of the week. But for me, it gave me quite a lot of inspiration about the things that financial freedom allow you to do. Presumably, uh, this lady can afford uh, in her retirement to spend her pension money this way. So having enough money later to be able to give to people and to make other people's lives better is quite a good inspiration for me in the shorter term to keep pushing and keep trying to improve my financial position. She's got a lot of helpers with her. She effectively, every day of the week, heads out and gives out food parcels and and hot meals to to poor people around the neighbourhood. You can see the benefits that she gets from that and all the helpers get from that as well. And equally, the smiles that it puts on the faces of the people she's helping. So I'd recommend you go and check that out again. As we said last week, we're going to build that into a challenge later in the year about selflessly giving to others. I think that will probably come in maybe May or, or June's mini challenge. As ever, please leave me a review. Please head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review and a rating. That really helps. Um, on my own personal little challenge, try and get into the top 25 with this podcast, currently sitting at 98. So I need your helping hand to get me up there and a rating and review will go a long way to do so. Next week, we're going to have El Martinez on to, to discuss her results and have a bit of a chat with her. So tune in next week for that. But until then... Keep on climbing. Come 
planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 